It is Easter Sunday morning. It is Resurrection Sunday morning, 2017. And we have gathered today to celebrate the hope of Easter. You may have noticed for four years now, our church has made our slogan, Come Celebrate the Hope of Easter. And it's been on our sign, it's been on our cards, it's been on the door hangers that we have taken out. And again today, we have come and our desire is that once again, we would celebrate as the church the hope of Easter. Well, the natural question then would be, what is this hope of Easter? If we are to celebrate that, if that's our goal today, what is the hope of Easter? Today, our world would have us to believe that there is no hope. And as hard as we try and everywhere that we look, it seems hopeless today. You look around and it seems that trouble is brewing absolutely everywhere. You turn on the news, you watch the TV, and, and everywhere it seems that trouble is brewing. It seems that grief and sorrow and anxiety and turmoil are absolutely everywhere today. And Satan would have us to believe, and the world would have us to believe that today it is hopeless. What I want to tell you this morning, and for sure on this Easter Sunday morning, and you listen to me, our hope remains and our hope still stands. And whatever is going on in the world today, whatever seems impossible today, our hope endures. And you hear me, you listen to me today, our hope is that Jesus Christ crucified on the cross of Calvary is alive today. Jesus is alive. Today we come to celebrate that hope. Our message today is entitled on Easter Sunday, Our Great Hope, Our Great Hope. Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through the first part of verse 7. Again, Matthew chapter 28, the first verse, all the way till halfway through the seventh verse. Our Great Hope. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Again, beginning here, Matthew 28, now in the first verse. And it says this. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning. And his clothing is white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we celebrate you. We worship you. We exalt the name of Jesus. We're thankful that he regarded us and he saw us in our helpless state, our sinful state. And he humbles himself and he comes as a man and he submits to, to life as a man and he goes through life and he doesn't sin. 
And then he goes and he carries my burden. He carries our sin to the cross of Calvary and he dies paying the cost of our redemption. But I'm thankful that it doesn't end in a graveyard. It doesn't end on a cross. But Jesus lives, risen from the dead. I praise you for that. We worship you. We exalt you again for that. We come today and I pray that you would speak to us in this hour, that, that you would lead us and you would teach us in the truth of your word. I, I pray for some here today that might not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of their salvation. I know it's your will that none should perish. I pray that in the drawing of your spirit and the preaching of your word, today might be the day they put their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for us here as believers today that we will be encouraged, that we will be strengthened, that we will be taught and renewed in the hearing of your word. We submit this day to you. We ask that you be glorified in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we are going to see many points. In fact, we're going to see seven points in our verses today. But there is one main point that we need to take away from our verses today. And the main point is this. Everything changes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're going to hear a lot of stuff today, but you know what? If you'll take that out of here, you'll be doing well. Everything changes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can mark that down. You can write that down. Everything changes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at the resurrection account from the gospel of Matthew, perhaps Verses that we have looked at many times. In fact, maybe verses that have become dangerously commonplace to us as Christ's followers. Maybe we've heard these verses so much that to our own peril, they lose their profound meaning. Because again, everything changes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so let me just tell you, today I am excited. In fact, I am beyond excited to lead us through these verses today in Matthew's gospel. Get ready today, this is gonna be awesome. Let's begin looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing we see today is the context of the resurrection, the context of the resurrection. Beginning there in the first verse, it starts off and it says this. Now after the Sabbath, I wanna stop right there already, it's a very awesome thing, I wanna look at it. It says now after the Sabbath. Understand the Sabbath was the Jewish day of rest. It literally means cessation. It literally means to stop. It is a special day. Its meaning goes all the way back to the creation account where on the seventh day with the work of creation finished, the Bible says that, that God stops, that God rests. Then when Moses brings the law down, this command is now to God's people to observe the Sabbath day, to remember, the Bible says, to keep the Sabbath day. And so see this, get this today, keeping the Sabbath day, obeying God's command about the Sabbath was to acknowledge that God truly reigned. And that's kind of the point of it. When you observe the Sabbath day, you were acknowledging, you know what, God truly reigns. To acknowledge the Sabbath day was to say, God, we admit and we acknowledge that there is no progress, there is no advancement on our own. To, to, to observe the Sabbath day was to admit 
and, and, to, and to acknowledge that there is no progress outside of submission to God. Very simply, it means two things. To observe the Sabbath means that we rest in what God has accomplished and at the same time we trust in what he will accomplish. And we can add nothing to either. Now I'm going to say that again. It took me a long time to think of that. To observe the Sabbath means that we rest in what God has accomplished and at the same time we trust in what he will accomplish and we can add nothing to either. And so see this this morning, see it. When men admit that there's nothing that we can do, there's nothing that we can add to the work, to the cause of salvation, when we rest in what he's done, when we trust in what he will do, then guess what happens? I don't want to peek too early. We're going to keep moving with the context. More context. It says this. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn the first day of the week, as it began to dawn the first day of the week. Now, stay with me. This is awesome as well, I believe. As man completes the Sabbath, as man rests in God and his work, it now says, as the sun comes up on a new day. Don't miss the context here. You see, when it is night, we strive and we get nowhere. When it is night, we work, but it is in vain. When it is night, we are, we are shrouded in the darkness. When it is night, we have no peace. When it is night, our hopes like the fire have been established. When it is night, we are in our sorrows. We are in our griefs. When it is night, sin rules over us and we lie in the darkness and we weep. But when it is then the coldest, when we are then discouraged, when we are lost in the utter darkness, see the picture here, the sun breaks through. See the picture here, daylight rises over the horizon. Listen to Psalm 30. Interestingly, it's called David's thanksgiving from deliverance from death. Now listen to this. Psalm 30 verse 1 says this, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. Listen to these words. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol, the place of death. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord's you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Now listen to this, verse five. Listen to this, it says this. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Look at the context here. When the Sabbath had come and passed, when men had submitted to God and said, Lord, our hope alone is in you. There's nothing we can do on this day. When we were darkest in our sins and when we were covered there in the darkness and when we cried in sorrow there in the night, the sun begins to come up. First, we see the context of the resurrection. Let me read the rest of the verse. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at 
at the grave. Again, we have the context of the resurrection. Second thing we're going to see in our verses today is the celebration of the resurrection. The celebration. Maybe we don't see this right off the bat. The celebration of the resurrection. I'm going to read verses 2, 3, and 4 together. It says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Think about these verses this morning. First, we know there's an earthquake at the death of Jesus when he dies. We read of an earthquake on that day. Now, there's an earthquake when Jesus rises from the dead. Now, think about these verses again. Slow down and think. Did Jesus need an earthquake to open the grave? I was just thinking about that. You know, he he didn't really need an earthquake to open the grave. He can do what he wants. He didn't need that. Did he need an angel to come? And, And the Bible says, can you imagine this? He is glowing like lightning. He's radiating light like pure driven snow. Did he need an angel so spectacular that these Roman guards just fall out like they're dead? Did he need need an angel to come and to open up the grave? Well, that's what the Bible says has happened. I don't know, but here's what I think. Remember back in the Old Testament, when the Bible says that God's presence come and comes and it settles on the mountain, the Bible tells us that smoke begins to rise up and there are, there are claps of thunder and there are flashes of lightning. And the Bible says the earth begins to shake at the glory of God. Remember in the New Testament, when the Pharisees come, it's recorded in Luke chapter 19, and he, they tell Jesus, you need to silence your followers And Jesus says, if they're silent, even the rocks are going to cry out. Remember in Scripture, all the great times of worship at the birth of Jesus or at the throne of heaven when the angels couldn't help but but join in the part of worship. Well, I want to tell you today, when I read this, I believe that when Jesus was beaten to death, when Jesus was laid in the grave, and as sinful people write him off and they begin to say, yes, He was a liar. Yes, he was a fraud. And as Satan himself stands and he surveys the humility, the humiliation that's heaped on Jesus, and as he sees Jesus and his dead body lays cold in the grave, and when it seems that it's its darkest, and after the Sabbath, and as the first day of the week began to dawn, and as Jesus sits up, and as Jesus then stands up and as the hosts of heaven are peering down and the rocks can't contain themselves any longer and an earthquake starts a drum roll and the angels signal the charge, he is alive, he is alive, he is alive. And so we see the celebration of the resurrection. Next, the comfort of the resurrection. Verse five, and the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. How absurd. Do not be afraid. Think about the events of Friday. Think about the events 
of the week. Think about what's going on here. Think about what they're seeing. But the angel says, do not be afraid. Remember when I said the point to this message is that everything changes with the resurrection. Do you know one of the things that changes with the resurrection for Christians is we no longer have anything to fear. Do you understand that? We no longer have anything to fear. If Jesus has paid our price and it is settled, if he has defeated death and death is forever defeated, if he has defeated Satan and Satan is a defeated foe and he stands alive, what do we have to fear as followers of Christ? Now be sure and hear me today. Some people distort this. It doesn't mean that life's not hard. It doesn't mean that sometimes we don't hurt. Doesn't mean that we do not suffer. Sometimes we suffer greatly. But what it does mean is even when we do, we have nothing to fear. I wish that I got that. I'm kind of hard-headed and sometimes I forget. I wish that I, wish that I always got that. And I wish that came to my mind as, as fast as trouble appeared. Some of y'all need to remind me of that. As followers of a risen Savior, we have nothing to fear. It's been settled today in Jesus Christ. So we have the comfort of the resurrection. Next, we have the crux of the resurrection. The crux of the resurrection. Look at the rest of verse five. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. The verb tense here in the Greek, it says, who has been. It is past tense. It is a completed fact. What it is saying here, it's talking about Jesus who has been crucified. Understand that. See that today. We celebrate, we worship Jesus our Lord who has been crucified. Do you know Jesus for all of eternity, he will always be forevermore Jesus who has been crucified. You see, it's in his crucifixion that we are redeemed. It's in his crucifixion that in his death that we die to our sin. It's in his crucifixion that his blood runs out. And because of his blood running out on the cross of Calvary, we become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we always remember Jesus who has been crucified. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, you know what, all that I profess to know is Jesus and him crucified. You see, that's the crux of it. He died my death. He paid my penalty. He died your death. He paid your penalty. It is a fact. Jesus has been crucified. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's dead. He's gone. Verse six, the cry of the resurrection. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. The greatest declaration of victory ever. The greatest words of victory ever spoken. He is not here, for he has risen. Friends, today, do not become numb to that. Do not overlook that, friends. I have seen death. 
Death is horrible. Death is cold. Death is sickening. Death's not right. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, that your faith is worthless. If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sin. You're condemned, guilty before a holy God. If Christ has not been raised, then those who are dead are dead and they're gonna stay dead in their cold graves. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then death is the victor. If Christ hasn't been raised, you have no hope. But the angel says here, here's the hope of Easter. He is not here for he is risen. Our hope stands. That is the hope of Easter. What a hope that is. What a joy that is. You see, you read the account, they were coming to a grave. They were coming to see a body. They were bringing the spices to anoint a body. They didn't expect a resurrection. And it all seemed like it had washed away and they're shrouded in darkness. And the angel says, he's not here, he's risen. What words of joy, what words of hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but now Christ has been raised. Next, we see the confirmation of the resurrection. The rest of verse six. He is not here for he is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Come see the place where he was lying. Do you know the truth always holds up? Do you know you do not have to shrink back from the truth? It always holds back. Sometimes you watch us in Christian circles today, we, we tiptoe around and we have to ease around the edges and we act like maybe this tale of a resurrection is some cooked up fairy tale and we're not able to defend it. And somebody comes and says, you know what, that's not possible and that doesn't make any sense. And we say, well, maybe we want to change the subject and talk about something else. The angel says, he's not here. In fact, let me show you where he was lying. Today, there's a bunch of weak faith Christians, professing Christians, and they come and they look at this and it's unexplainable and they say, well, maybe it doesn't matter. They come and say, well, maybe it's a symbolic resurrection and they, they build some good sounding deal upon a, a symbolic resurrection. They say, maybe it's a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't physical, maybe it's a spiritual resurrection. And maybe they come and say, you know what, maybe we're not supposed to take this literally. The Bible says, no, it is physical. It is bodily, it is actual. And the angel says, let me come and show you where his body was. You see, there's no meaning in a symbolic resurrection. There's no power in a spiritual resurrection, but Jesus was crucified and he's actually resurrected. He is alive. Angel comes and says, let me show you. You know, don't turn and go somewhere and let's, let's have to make this half truce and let's have to hide it. He says, come and let me show you the, the grave where he was laid. He's not here. You don't have to shrink back from the truth. The last point we see today, the commission of the resurrection. The commission of the resurrection. The first part of verse seven says this. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. You know, when I read the New Testament, the commission has always been 
go and tell that he's alive. That's always been the commission of a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to sit around and say, well, I've, I've got this deep theology and I can talk about this and this and this and these things that don't matter. As Christians, we're supposed to say, we serve a risen Savior and I'm coming to tell you he's alive. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead. I want to tell you today, church, we would do well this Easter not to leave here and say, oh, what a great day that was. Oh, did you hear the music? Oh, were you part of that service? We'd do well today to leave here today and say, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He is alive. That's the commission of the resurrection. That's what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, I I wonder sometimes how we become so dense, how we become so blinded that we can pass through days and we can pass through months and we can pass through years and not tell anybody, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. That's the commission of the resurrection. And all of that comes to this. Everything changes with the resurrection. And friends, you hear me in 2017, listen to me this morning in Vernon, Texas at Calvary Baptist Church. The hope of Easter still stands. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thankful for the sacrifice of the cross as you endure it for me, paying my penalty, paying our our debt of sin. As you die our death, thank you for that. But I'm thankful that it is forever confirmed and the victory is celebrated and announced with an empty tomb as Jesus steps out and he's alive. I pray as Christians that we would We would be renewed in this. We would be encouraged in this. We have nothing to fear. We serve a risen Savior. I pray that we would be emboldened in this. We'd understand we have a commission. We're to tell people He is alive. Pray for some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ. I pray that on this day, on this Easter Sunday, on the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, that they would cross themselves from death over to life that we would see that miracle in this hour as they understand my hope alone is in Christ and I receive him as my my Lord and my Savior. I pray that you stir in their hearts. I pray that this this message is spoken to them, maybe the circumstances of life, and I, I pray that it would weigh heavy upon them and today they would come and profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Move, dear Lord. We submit this to you and we tell you we're thankful for you and for a hope that still stands. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.